You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is every day, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, you just went to a premiership team. You think you're good. You just do my head in. You're a wanker. <laughs> hey, this is the second day in a row. We're starting by talking about Tom Lynch, but I believe I might have just saw this quote, and I think it was coming from Mitch Robinson from Brisbane. Would I be correct? That that is correct. He is. Uh, he's not the, not not the largest fan of uh, of Tom Lynch. Yeah, it's interesting because Lynch obviously in the last few weeks has had a few incidents. Clearly, we saw what happened with Sam Collins the other day, and. You know, we, we discussed whether he was going to get a suspension. I, I actually thought that the multiple incidents would be enough for him to uh, get maybe a, a one-week suspension, but he hasn't. He's got away with fines, which, you know, let's be honest, for a guy that's getting paid as much as Tom Lynch is, uh, I don't think that that is going to bother him in the absolute slightest. And, yeah, the interesting thing is I was just reading something earlier about the fact that, you know, back in the day, I mean, we always talk about the – a tribunal system, match review office, match review panel, whatever you want to call it, whatever it's been called over the years. In the, in past days, you did get an accumulation of points. So, you know, the other week when Tom Lynch shoved uh, his opponent's head into the ground, that might have been 90 points and he might have got a fine. But for the next incident, which would have been the one against Sam Collins, and he would have ended up getting suspension. It's just interesting. That's no longer uh, part of the game. And these guys just uh, continually just get in fines that mean absolutely nothing to them. Yeah, there was a, a graphic, I think, on 360 last night of all the Richmond s- suspension citations this year and all every single one of them, I think there was about 15 or 20 of them, they were all just fines, just striking incidences, rough conduct incidents, but everyone was just a, a fine, which, again, is it a, a, fines aren't great, of course. Like these people have got to earn money, but if when you are the top, when you're Dustin Martin, Jack Rewalt, uh, Tom Lynch, which were the names that kept appearing on this list. I don't think it's really that much of an impact. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I did mention the Tom Hawkins comparison yesterday, and no doubt if you're talking about a tall forward that's had some indiscretions, then Hawkins is the guy uh, to look at for picking up weak suspensions for really not you know incidents that are going to cause major injury, but just sort of silly actions. Hawkins being the poster boy for that as far as big forwards. But you know, the one thing with Hawkins, I know he got away with that uh, elbow this year which we discussed a lot at the time but over the course of the journey Hawkins has always got weeks for these kinds of incidents so to this point Tom Lynch probably has to be feeling pretty damn lucky that uh, he's got away with that and yeah you know I, I just think when you have a system like this where you come out and say that you don't want players swinging a fist or having a closed fist and then you constantly just dish out fines I mean you everyone just laughs at you and they know that it's a complete joke and I still just cannot believe that I, we see all this, and Zach Merritt got two weeks <laughs> for that incident earlier in the year that was actually, and you could argue that it wasn't a football action if you want, but it is an action that you see within a, a tackle multiple times a game. Uh, it's just unbelievable now to think back that uh, he, he missed two weeks for that. 
Let's talk a little bit more Richmond here as I try and uh, smoothly segue here. The reports are Jack Graham is uh, you know, being looked at really closely by opposition teams, whether they are the teams back in South Australia. But Essendon's name has also come up. Graham, of course, he's still only 22 years of age. He hasn't sort of been in and out of the team this year. Did play against the Suns, but hasn't been you know, setting the world on fire. And now Essendon, yeah, popping up and we keep hearing about Essendon and how they're trying to install the Richmond game plan and culture and yeah, doing that by getting going going after their players. But does it, does it make sense for Graham? Because he's a guy that is a 19-year-old, played in a premiership, uh, missed last year's one but still only 22, but hasn't really established himself. It's interesting. Going back a couple of weeks ago on the show, I mentioned that I think Richmond are going to be ripe for the picking with a bunch of guys that are you know, sort of fringe. And Jack Graham's played a few games this year, seven games, but he's not a guy that's cemented in the team. And he is of the age bracket where he could be in a, a Dan Butler situation with St. Kilda last year where he goes to a different uh, team and maybe... Uh, he can sort of explode and burst onto the scene a little bit with a little bit of confidence, a little bit of consistency with his footy. But I reckon our friend, friend of the show, Sam Vecini, would be blowing up if he saw that this this rumor out there. He went at length last week about the type of player that Essendon need, and, and I'm just not sure that it's Jack Graham. I mean, this is a guy that's a uh, big-bodied midfielder. He's, he is short. He is a small guy. He's only 181 centimeters, but he doesn't strike me as the type of player Essendon need in their midfield. I mentioned the fact that I think they really miss Dyson Heppel because they, they don't have that class in there. And I think they need classy players in, in the Essendon midfield. I'm not sure Jack Graham fits the bill, even though as a 21, 22-year-old, uh, he, he he is in that age bracket. But Jack Graham this year, when he's played, ranks uh, below average for disposals, below average for meters gained, below average for shots on goal, so he doesn't hit the scoreboard. So in all those areas that you would want to see uh, him playing well and the, the indicators that you might take from that, uh, he doesn't rank well. Uh, the only thing that he does do consistently, which a lot of these Richmond small forwards do, is he's elite in tackles per game with 4.7 and elite in pressure acts with 20.4. So I, this isn't necessarily a knock on, on Jack Graham. I'm just not sure I see the fit with the Bombers. Yeah, because you got you know your your merits and shields and those sort of guys. Feels it, similar. Yeah, it's a, what's why would he come in and you know push shield out or push merit out? What's he offering that's a different change of pace? We've talked about Darcy Parish plenty of times. Like he comes there, mm. it's a little bit different. It's a little bit of a different sort of player to mix things up in there. Whereas adding a Graham in there is not not exactly, and it's getting towards that Collingwood problem that we talk about. Like these guys yep. that are all yeah similar and, and do the same thing. Where you need the the mix of guys who can do different types of things them look maybe Adelaide would be fine because of course they need talent they need young talent and you could slot him straight into that midfield and he could be that guy that they could try and see how it works but build it build upon along with other guys coming through that makes a little bit more sense because nothing in that team is settled at this point but the the Essendon one yeah I'm I'm with that we also had some news um, about a couple of injuries Dan Dan Rampey broke his hand earlier this year um, came back and played and uh, his hand is broken again and his season appears done yeah, I think he got a plate in that hand that I read has sort of been dislodged or moved a little bit. So uh, clearly a blow for the Swans, just in the way that we've spoke about them at length the last uh, few shows, certainly towards the end of last week. They've been so impressive. I think now the question with Sydney is, what do they get from the end of the season with their with their young team? Uh, if I look at the starting uh, back six from that team last week, Rampy obviously is the key guy who, who may still be in All-Australian conversations this year this might hurt him a little bit 
But you look at the other guys back there, Jordan Dawson, obviously a young player, actually kicked some goals last week and was uh, pretty attacking. And Harry Cunningham, Jake Lloyd, Robbie Fox, Lewis Malikin last week. So they sort of were starting to form a little bit of a nucleus with the bulk of those guys there playing in the back six. So I think what Sydney are trying to get out of the back end of the season here is consistency. Uh, being able to work on their structure. As I said, men- mentioned multiple times, Josh, uh, John Longmire was talking about the fact that they're going to get some time to train now and work on that sort of stuff. So uh, it is a bit of a blow because Rampy clearly, no matter what happens with this team, he's still going to come back next year and be a, a key player for them. So so this sucks. And Sydney, you know, if you look at the long-term injury list with some of their veteran oh, players, I mean, there's some quality. <laughs> there's some quality to come back into this team next year around all these youngsters. Yeah, and uh, I guess they could look for uh, Leo Leo to come back in as yeah. well. Uh, he, he could just slot into that Rampy role, who was, you know, he's, hasn't really come on as much as necessary. But th- th- we talked about how strong this Sydney backline had been and keeping opponents' scores really down. And this is going to hurt that, and it's going to hurt what they're trying to do. But you know, when we talk about the future of this team, Rampy is one of the older guys. I think he's 30, 31, around that age anyway. So it just enables for these last five games, you know, Aaliyah to step into that role and someone else to step into Aaliyah's role and to really develop like they've done through the midfield with with Florent and with Mills, you know, taking on those roles that were held by Kennedy and you know, up forward with Franklin and Papley becoming more of that option there. Like just trying to and get these guys that experience. And I think yeah, while they're not going anywhere this year and Rampy's been really strong back there, it probably can be a positive for them. It wasn't the only hand injury though, Kane. No, it wasn't. And before we just move on to this one, we I don't think we ever actually brought this up. There was some talk that the, the Jake Carlisle oh, trying yeah. to hit the hand had some sort of factor here. We never really discussed it, but just that, that is a, a garbage act from Carlisle. And if that had anything to do with this injury, then that really sucks. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a great look. That's something used to happen quite a bit in footy, yeah. maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, you just don't like seeing it. it. Just looks pretty ugly. And like I always always look at these things, and we see it, and we've seen it plenty of times. Okay, and, and you go, that's yuck. But like I was watching something with my partner again, and she has no idea about footy, and she's like, "What are they doing? Why are they acting like idiots?" Like she's like, "This is so immature. Like this is not sport. Why are you, why are they just punching each other's hand? That's so wrong." And we just we just look at it and go. Ah, oh, it's footy. Yeah, you got to be tough. But people watching it from the outside, and you're trying to bring new fans in or grow the game, and they go, "This just looks stupid." Like you guys just look like immature guys, like out in a parking lot. Like, you want to go me? Like it just looks so dumb to people on the outside. Whereas it's it's sort of half accepted, and we're slowly trying to get away from that. But when someone says that to you, and you go, "Yeah, it is pretty dumb. You're punching someone in the hand. Like that's not playing sport." It was a strange one for me. St. Kilda were winning the game at the time, and it's like, what are you actually trying to get out of this? Like, are you literally trying to break his hand again? I mean, are you going to feel good about that? I don't know. It was all very strange to me. Uh, I think, fortunately, for the most part, we don't see a lot of that anymore. But that one was pretty ugly. And I think uh, the St. Kilda teammates were even just trying to pull him aside and say, listen, man, that's uh, that's not something we want to do. But Jago Amira, the other hand injury. As far as Hawthorne go, you know, they might not win another game this season. When you look at the Sicily... Uh, injury the ACL he's going to be out obviously for the rest of this season and beyond and now Jago Amira for two to three weeks uh, throughout the season he's been relatively consistent still averaging over 20 disposals per game uh, his clearance uh, his clearance rate per game of 5.3 is actually the second best of his career despite the fact that the quarters have been shortened so Amira again uh, I think the the big plus for him and this is what really sucks about this I mean you talk about a guy that's been injured throughout the course of his career this was going to be the third consecutive year where uh, he, he was really consistent with the amount of games he was able to play 21 in 2018 21 in 2019 and 10 out of the 12 
so far this year. So or ten out of eleven so far this year. So he's been really consistent. He's starting to get a really good run at it, and we were seeing the quality that we knew he had. So just on a personal uh, level, this sucks for him. But yeah, Hawthorne, uh, it, it goes from bad to worse. I don't think that you, know, you need to hold this against him in terms of getting over injuries. A broken hand is very different from degenerative sure. knee, knee problems. So, like, well, it, it looks oh, look, yeah, he had a good run. Now he's going to play ten out of well, yeah, or twelve games for the year. That's not great. We have to understand, yeah, the the context behind it, and it's nothing to hold uh, hold against him. Um, all right, we might uh, we might move on to the the next part here, Kane. I think because the West Coast Eagles, we've talked at length about how poor they were and how poorly they adjusted to life in the Queensland hub. And then they started to get it rolling and then they've been absolutely just destroying teams really since Mm -hmm. then. But they're going to have to leave Western Australia again. So have they learned their lesson? Do you think that when they do have to leave Western Australia again and go back into a hub, which, which Eagles are we going to see? The good team or the one that looked completely lost? I'm a little bit skeptical. I think that uh, they're going to say all the right things. Jackson Nelson yesterday had a press conference and in that press conference he was talking about the fact that you know they probably didn't go there with the right attitude they didn't know what to expect they were one of the first teams to go down there but they were a disaster at the start of the year and I mentioned on yesterday's podcast or it might have been the day before that you know you really want to avoid West Coast in the top two because they might get a home final well it doesn't look like that's actually going to be the case I mean West Coast will most likely um, from what the reports are suggesting and basically what the WA government is focusing their attention on, it looks like this might be their home last home game for the rest of the season. So they'll take on GWS this week uh, on Sunday, and then they're going to be on the road. They're going to be in Queensland. And the first test they get is against Richmond uh, next Thursday night at Metricon Stadium. So I don't think we're going to have... To- we're going to have long to wait to find out here. They're going to go into the hub after that Sunday game, and they're going to take on the Tigers, who we know have been in pretty good form. And by that point, we'll get Basher Hooley back. There might be a couple of other additions uh, to the team. So, you know, for the Eagles, it's it's going to be a difficult challenge. And and if they don't return back to WA for the rest of the season, I think a number of those players in those teams, Tim Kelly's clearly one that found his form when he was back home, which is where he wanted to be the whole entire time. Uh, they've clearly benefited in games from playing in front of 30,000 West Coast fans. They're not going to have that anymore. So that motivation uh, is going to be gone as well. I, I think West Coast are really a team to watch. I, I think, I would like to think that they've found their form and it's not going to impact them, but it's certainly interesting. It is one to watch. There's no doubt about that. Now, I I think that, no, I think, I know that they were obviously impacted. We talked about Tim Kelly and the family stuff, but I am, they are going to have this drummed into them, not yeah. only from a coaching perspective, but from each other. They're going to be like, oh, we know what we did wrong last time. We know that everyone else is in this. I think there was also a bit of it like, shit, everyone else, like, why are we the only ones yeah, doing I agree, it? Like, yeah. Me, why Arsene Freeman? Why are we the only ones doing this nonsense? Like, it's a bit like, but now everyone's doing it and everyone's used to it. And they're going to be like, okay, we've done this before. We know the mistakes, we know where the mindset next needs to be. I agree, we'll find out against Richmond. but And it does take away an advantage for them. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think we'll see the ineptitude that we saw in those you know, Port and Brisbane games earlier in the season when they were just they just weren't on track at all. Even the, the Gold Coast game where they just weren't, like, they, weren't they were playing poorly. Uh, I don't think we'll really see uh, see that problem from, from West Coast. I think that they that lesson was learned pretty pretty harshly. Um, and it will be, it'll be pretty you know, front and front and center in their minds 
maybe that works against them because I overthink it. But I, I, I'm not having to. I'm going to watch it for sure. But I'm not having too many concerns about the, about it impacting their their level of play. Yeah, I think it was bizarre at the time, just because of how much talent they got. And now when you watch them, you know, in a game against Hawthorne, even in that game against Carlton, you, you just you felt like the the talent was going to overwhelm them. I mean, whether it's in the midfield, the the strong the strength of the back line. And then we know, you know, Josh Kennedy's starting to find some form. Jack Darling, Oscar Allen, uh, they, they got a bunch of guys up forward as well. They're as, as complete as any team in the league. So uh, I think, you know, I would be leaning towards them handling this a little bit better. And the one thing I will say, uh, Adam Simpson, I think this time, I don't think that he'll be entertaining it. He'll be, oh, he'll, no. be, he'll be taking a completely different tune to what he did last time. I think that's a, a very safe bet. I'm excited this week, Kane, because we get to see you know, probably uh, this game of the round, game of the year, probably not game of the year, but game of the round, Brisbane and St. Kilda. We've talked about yeah, St. Kilda and the ups and downs and the different styles of play. How are they going to handle Harris Andrews and this Brisbane backline? This is a, a really big game. I think if St. Kilda loses this one, the top four is probably going to be hard to, to come by because you know they could get leapfrogged here by Richmond. The Eagles could put a, a bigger gap in them there as well. So this is a, a real key one. To me, this is this is the best game of the round. And I really want to see how they go against a Brisbane team who not only is high octane, but has been really strong you know, defensively as well. And you know, if they can have that, that issue that the St. Kilda had against Geelong in terms of goals out the back, if Brisbane is going to adopt that sort of a, uh, of a game plan to, to limit them. Yeah, we mentioned it at the time, but I thought that a huge uh, player missing from that St. Kilda team in that Geelong game where they were just completely strangled was Zach Jones. And uh, he came back into the team against Essendon. Clearly, uh, St. Kilda managed their list and they thought that maybe the Essendon game was the one that they wanted to get. Uh, but Zach Jones came back in, 26 disposals, 429 metres gained. And the other player, Bradley Hill, he only had six disposals against the Cats he got 17 disposals, 14 of those kicks, 450 meters gained from 17 disposals. He was, uh, you know, just at his damaging best. And I, I think that you could tell very early in this game that the Saints were off the leash a little bit and they were enjoying being able to play that attacking footy that Geelong just didn't allow them to do. So St. Kilda will come back into this one feeling pretty confident. But you're right, the Brisbane back line is tough. And if you look at the ladder right now, when you talk about the, the importance of top four in this game, but Brisbane... Uh, have got a pretty healthy percentage of 118. Their back line has been pretty strong all season long. So uh, I think this is a challenge for both teams. And for Brisbane, you know, they didn't look great against North Melbourne on the weekend. No. And, 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 we, and listen, we, we've seen this. Teams are going to go into games that they think that they're probably going to win. And from time to time, you're going to be flat. And early in the game, Brisbane were kicking behinds again. So the, the one thing, if you're a Brisbane fan, you just need to see this team kick goals and kick straight. Because honestly... It nearly cost them a critical game. I mean, they, all these games for these top four teams, they need to win, particularly when they're playing each other. So I agree, this is the game of the week. And, uh, you know, I think I think the winner, the winner you might see in the top four, the losers really putting themselves in a precarious position. The other interesting game of the weekend, or one of the interesting games of the weekend, is Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. We want to talk about them a little bit here. Um Melbourne, big win over Collingwood. And as always happens when teams have a big win, they get, you know, um, circle jerked. It happens all the time. We've seen it plenty of times, <laughs> plenty of times throughout the history of AFL media. But Melbourne's next two games are, are really important. They take on the Bulldogs this week and they have St. Kilda next week. 
that is that is the real test. They've passed some tests this year. They've failed plenty of tests this year. So this is a real test for them. Now, the, the overreaction I want to talk about here is I saw this tweeted out today, maybe from uh, Gary Lyons' SEN show. And the question was, again, this is all overreactions type stuff and how we're going to match this up. But it's like, which midfield at full strength would you want? Melbourne or the Western Bulldogs? Now, well, let's just you know, run through the, the, the Bulldogs midfield. Bonsampelli, McRae, Dunkley, Libertori, Libertore, uh, Bailey Smith. That's probably the, the main guys in, in that group. Um, Melbourne, obviously, you've got Petrarca, you've got Viney, you've got Oliver, you've got Langdon. Um, to me... It, it does feel, but this is, you can correct me here, Kane. I, I, maybe it's biased for me. To me, that Bulldogs midfield looks superior. Yes. The, I guess you've got to include Max Gorn in there as well for Melbourne. And you know, we're talking fully healthy here, which he, he's not at the moment. But to me, that just that just reeks of an overreaction type question because they're matching up this week that I would much rather have that Bulldogs midfield. Uh, I'm not so sure. I mean, you definitely include Max Gorn in that, which tips the scales heavily in Melbourne's favour. But if you talk about Oliver, Viney, Brayshaw, and if you want to throw Langdon in there as well, no doubt. I mean, Melbourne, and this has always been the case. And then, of course, depending on how wide you want to cast this net, Petrarca's been a guy that's been involved in a lot of uh, centre bounces as yeah, well. I think so, you've got to throw him in there. What's that? I think you've got to throw Petrarca in, in there in that mix. Yeah, so Oliver, Petrarca, Viney, Max Gorn. I mean, we, this has been the whole thing all season long. At the start of the season, Melbourne couldn't kick goals and we said, well, okay, well, why aren't they able to kick goals? What's the structure in the forward line? What game style are they playing? Are they moving the ball fast enough? I think that they've looked better in the last few weeks. So just purely for that Bulldogs-Melbourne midfield discussion, I, I think that you could easily make a case for, for either way. Now, clearly, the Bulldogs side of it, you're talking about a, a bunch of premiership players, and, and they've, they've done it you know, back in 2016, and that's in their favor. And Bontempelli is a guy that, uh, you know, most years is thereabouts and then in people's early season Brownlow discussion he hasn't quite uh, ever had that season come to fruition but clearly a, a quality player so I, I don't know I'm not sure I'm buying that Josh I'm not sure I'm buying that that that's a clear uh, win for the Bulldogs I, I think it's uh, I think it's a pretty good discussion okay interesting uh, it's thank you for putting me in my biased place <laughs> but uh, I didn't even include Lockie Hunter in the Bulldogs mix in midfield yeah. I just think that the Bulldogs just have uh, an astounding yeah, variety of those players as well because they've got Libertore, who's yeah, that that hardball guy. They've got the the runners, Bailey Smith. They've got yeah the accumulator and architect types like McRae. You've got Bontempelli who does that. Look, just just and these guys who are great kicks or guys who are hard runners, who guys who are get the hardball, guys who who are the speedsters. It's a really solid mix and good variety, which we talk about variety all the time. Whereas Melbourne, there's just so many of those guys: Viney, Oliver, uh, Langdon, uh, to a lesser degree, Brayshaw. Just a lot of these are poor disposing, harder type clearance guys. Whereas the the outside run maybe isn't there as much. Well, it's interesting you bring up the poor ball use because I was really fascinated watching Melbourne last week and this was under basically no pressure from the Pies. The Pies were awful. And it was interesting, a, a Twitter user, Scully, who I've, I've gone head-to-head with a couple of times, he's always pretty strong in his opinions, but I didn't realize that he was a Melbourne fan. And I, I sort of 
tweeted something out that this has been coming for a long time for the Pies. They've been absolutely awful and they've had an easy schedule that has protected them over the last month. I definitely still believe that. And he sort of said, well, why aren't you giving credit to the Melbourne backline who've been great over the last few weeks? And I said, Melbourne backline the last few weeks? What are you talking about? Adelaide, North Melbourne and Collingwood? And I said, come on, we need to see something from them. So that's why I'm fascinated to see this game in particular this week. Are they going to be able to uh, slow down uh, a forward line that can actually kick a score? But as far as the kicking efficiency goes, I, I think that that back line, there's three guys that were in the back line last week that stand out to me. Uh, that's Christian Salem, James Harms, and Michael Hibbert. If you look at the disposal efficiency last week, Salem went at 95%. Yeah, James ridiculous. Harms, 93%. Salem's a key, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's, he's a, his disposal is fantastic coming out of uh, of the back line, and that's something that they... Yeah, and they are. When he plays well, and when he's using the ball like that, it is it is hard to stop. And you need that sort of player. And he's he's really stepped up this year. And then the other, and then you project that up to the midfield. Clayton Oliver, eighty three percent. Ed Lagden, eighty one percent. Angus Brayshaw, seventy eight percent. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that are those numbers overall realistic that they're going to continue? Probably not. But these are the types of numbers that are more the the games, the types of games that they want to see from those defensive ball users moving through the midfield. The Demons went at 77% last week. Uh, 71.5% is their average on the season. So that was clearly the step in the right direction for them. If these guys are able to use the ball well from the back line, the Demons, we see that they figured forward and they've become actually a kind of a dangerous team against poor opposition. So now let's see what they can do against the Doggies team that uh, let's be honest Josh, they've been up and down. We don't know what Doggies team we're going to get out there either who just uh, handled Adelaide, which again I mean I'm writing that off. I'm not taking anything from that. The one other player I will say Cozzy Pickett is quickly becoming a key player for this team. He, he uses the ball extremely well he actually went at uh, 100% last week. Now, he only had five yeah, disposals <laughs> and, and, and four, four kicks, but he kicked a goal, and uh, he, he is a guy that, that makes people nervous, and every time he's around the ball, you feel like he's going to do something good. His last few weeks have been sensational, and he just adds something different to this Melbourne team. Yeah, and it's always good. Again, variety is such a key thing because it makes you have to you know, be really wary about what you're doing defensively when there's just multiple different options. So, yeah, look, Melbourne is the team really to focus on at the moment because, you know, Pushing up, they're in the eight, but two massive games in a row for them here. And we're going to recap those games as they happen over the next couple of weeks. Kane here on Locked On AFL. Thank you again for a, another great show. It's uh, an absolute pleasure. I, I assume that I'm going to be back tomorrow. That's the plan. Yep, hopefully you're not too sad about the Milwaukee Bucks and the, and all your Locked On Bucks promotion yesterday after they go down in the NBA playoffs. But uh, you'll uh, you'll recover. You'll have 24 hours to get back uh, back back in your mental your mental state back to a, an, an even keel and guys if you want to help this show and help Kane get through his depression you can subscribe Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Stitcher and on Spotify and give us a five star rating and a review today I'm going to leave you with a shout out to Mark Athorn. <laughs> 